0: Good morning, my name is Chris Genders, I'm the youth pastor for the church, and uh, Bill White, our lead pastor, is back from vacation, um, but it turned out that it's a very good thing that uh, I I'm, I'm offered to preach this morning. He got back on Tuesday uh, from being gone for uh, a little over a week, and um, I'm sorry, <laughs> I just got... I have no idea why this is written down here. Um, but this piece is, sorry, I'm just thrown off for a second. Um, I just looked down and went sidetracked because this piece of broken wood is called the whacker stick. Um, just threw me off a little bit. So I'm back. Um, Bill got back from vacation on Tuesday. On Wednesday, his hard drive crashed. He lost over 20 years worth of data. Um, he's trying to, uh, get it all back soon. Thursday, he was in an all-day elders meeting. Friday, he was watching the grandkids all day. So, um, Bill, if you're in the house, um, I know you just are glad you're able to sit out there. So, um, Last week, we started this series called Roots and Branches, and uh, if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to go to the website, um, go to iTunes, get a CD as you leave here this morning, find some way to to get a hold of that and listen to what we taught last week, because it introduced this whole idea of roots and branches and what we're talking about, and we're starting to study on the, on the book of Acts, and right now if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles in the back, now would be a great time um, to go grab one right now and you get it, because you'll need it, you'll want to look at that. Definitely encourage you to do the, the weekly readings. Um, what I'm going to teach on today is Acts 6, 8 through 8, 3, and it's, it's a pretty exhaustive set of scriptures, and I can't read every verse to you up on the stage, so we need you guys to do the homework a little bit ahead of time, and I'm going to read some, I'm going to summarize some, but if you put in the effort before you come to church each Sunday, um, and we have it on our website, um, our e-news thing, we put it in the bulletin, you'll know every week what scriptures to read in preparation. We're going to spend the next four months in the book of Acts, and uh, we're going to see... Um, What we're going to see is a church that's really in transition. Um, I'm I'm kind of a a theology geek. I love the study of God. And I'm I'm doing my own kind of personal study of the evolution of theology from the beginning of time to today. So just a small little study, right? Um, And I'm fascinated by major turning points that happen in the life of of the understanding of God. And as we study the book of Acts, you need to understand this is a, a major turning point for these people. Uh, You have the Jewish faith, Judaism, uh, which one of their core tenets was a single God, one God. You know, we worship one God, as opposed to all the other religions around the world that that worship multiple gods. And now all of a sudden you have Jesus arrive on the scene who uh, is the Messiah and and is the Son of God. And you have the Holy Spirit, and suddenly we have this Trinity thing. And they have to wrestle with that, have to figure out what to do with that. And uh, you have Judaism, which God, the nation of Israel, was God's chosen nation, God's chosen people. And now all of a sudden they're being told that, no, actually God is for all nations and all people around the world. And we have to go expand outside of just Judaism. And and that's huge for them to try and grasp. And so as we study the book of Acts, I want you to do your best to put yourself in their day, okay, in that culture, in that situation. How would you hear... What's being taught Don't read it with 21st century mindset Read it with 1st century mindset um, Imagine the sights And the smells And the sounds And the political climate the historical climate the cultural climate If you can do that You can put yourself there In the midst of scripture It's going to make A whole lot more sense And you're going to understand it For example My sister uh, Last couple of years ago We did this challenge Called uh, B90X Play off of P90X And it was reading The entire Bible Genesis to Revelation In 90 days Okay and so, so we're reading through it. My sister decides to do this um, along with me. And, and I'm like, okay, great. So we're reading. And uh, if you've ever read the Old Testament, you know the stories of the kings. And uh, they, they have all this historical stuff that happens. And then the Chronicles is, is like a little bit later and basically the same stories. And my sister calls me and she's like, didn't I just read this? Like, isn't this the same story that we've already heard? And I go, well, yes, but you've got to put yourself in the shoes of the, the reader. And she goes, what do you mean? I said, well, the, you know, the kings is a story of what's happening in that day. And then Babylon comes in and they take them captive and spread them all around the world. And, and then, you know, decades later, they're finally coming back and, and they don't know their own history. The Jews don't know their own history. And, and, and so they have to be retold their history. And, and so put yourself in there that you have no idea that this is your history and you're being told that. And I'm getting all jacked up on this phone with a phone call with her. And she goes, but it's still the same stories. <sighs> yes, it is. But, so, Live in that, try and put yourself in these moments um, as you do that. Today, um, we're going to study Stephen. Stephen was the first martyr for the church, and I'll tell the story real quick. He, he, he began to do incredible things for God. He was arrested. He was falsely accused. He defended himself, and, and uh, he was found guilty, falsely accused, um, stoned to death. And there's a little young man named Saul who is was there um, approving of, of Stephen's martyrdom. And uh, just an incredible story. And I'd always read this, and I always thought, okay, why does Stephen stand up in front of his accusers, in front of the jury, and just give a history lesson? I mean, these people know their history. These are the religious leaders of the day. They know their history. Like, why is he giving a history lesson? As I studied it this week, I realized for the first time ever that he wasn't giving a history lesson. He was giving a theology lesson. And it changes everything. He takes all of the accusations that were posed against him, and he defends them to shift transition theology for those Jewish leaders. So we're going to look at that today. But first, have you, ever, have you ever been falsely accused of something? Have you ever been accused of doing something wrong and you know you did not do it wrong, right? I mean, imagine that feeling. Go back to a moment where that happened. When I was a kid, I got in trouble a lot. I got punished a lot, and 99% of the times I deserved it, okay? I mean, when, when mom and dad would come at me and say, Chris, we gotta talk, I'm like, I just, I just did it, I'm like I know, I'll confess, right? But then there were moments where I got accused of something, by my brothers and sisters, mom and dad came and said, hey, you did this? I'm like, no I didn't! Well, yeah, you did, Chris. You got a 99% track record that is you. And I'm like, but this 1% is different. I didn't do it. And they're like, no, you did I'm like, no, I didn't. And even today, with my with my wife and kids, if, if they accuse me of doing something I know I did not do, oh, man, the beast rises up. Like, it goes back to the childhood. Like, do not accuse me of doing something I didn't do. Um, my my, I had a situation in college um, where I dropped a motorcycle. I was riding with uh, my wife's best friend on the back, and... Um, we were riding without helmets and we were wearing shorts and all the stuff you're not supposed to do. And we're, we're riding on this back road I've never ridden on before. And I'm coming up this, this hill and the sign shows an S curve. And so we're out in the middle of nowhere. And so I slow down to for the appropriate speed for an S curve. Well, it's, it's a blind curve. There were trees here, you know, on the side and there's cornfield ahead of me. And as I leaned into the S curve, going an appropriate speed for an S curve, if I didn't say that already, I was going at appropriate speed. All of a sudden the S curve turned into a 90 degree turn. And I just instinctively hit the brakes and skid out from underneath me. I got a ticket for too fast for conditions. On the ticket, it labeled dry, sunny day. I'm like, too fast for conditions? What was too fast for conditions? And so I felt wrongly accused. I did what was appropriate for the sign. So I, you know, they said, you can just pay the ticket. I'm like, I'm not paying this ticket. I'm going for the judge. And they're like, Chris, you're going to lose. I'm like, I don't care. I'm like, I'm not wrong. You know, I'm writing this. And so I went to the judge. I'm this punk college kid standing before this judge, this county judge. And he's like, why are you contesting this? I'm like, you're wrong. And he's like, excuse me? I'm like, state of Illinois is wrong. They wrongly marked the signs. State, county, city. I don't know who, but somebody else is wrong. It's not me. I lost. I paid the ticket. I didn't like having a punk college kid talk to him like that, evidently. But the beast rose up in me. Um, In my last church, we had a guy who, horrible situation. Um, he was a coworker of mine, he was a student pastor um, found out all this lying and manipulation and stuff, and he was twisting the truth and, and saying stuff about me and other people in the church, and, and then just all this stuff was just coming out and, and people were coming to me and said, did you really say that? I'm like, no, I didn't say that did you really, do- no, I didn't do that and all, I mean, the beast just rose up and, I, and one day when, when everything just kind of came out I, oh, I was hot and uh, I called up my, my lifting partner and we've been in the gym about three times a week for a few months there, and and I said, meet me in the gym it was like two o'clock in the afternoon, and uh, he worked at home, so he had flexible schedule. And I show up in the gym, he shows up there. I'm wearing khakis and a button down button down shirt tucked in, and he's like, you got your workout clothes? No, I don't need them. I'm like, I just need a lift. He's like, okay. He's like, what do you want to do? I'm like, bench. Okay. What do you want on there? 265. I'm like, I'd done 265 one time before. That was my max, but I was so jacked, I did three sets of ten on my max because I was so mad, because I was falsely accused. I mean, the beast, just don't falsely accuse me. The beast just rises up in me, okay? Stephen finds himself falsely accused. And kind of the beast rises up in him, but not really. Not the, way, not, not the inappropriate way that it does in me. He, he responds appropriately. And, and we're going to see his story today. We, we, we encountered Stephen last week. He was one of the seven men who was chosen by the apostles to feed and make sure that the widows, the Grecian widows and the Hebraic widows, uh, were getting their daily distribution of food. Uh, well, Scripture tells us that he goes on and, and uh, begins to do more than just serve food. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 6, verse 8. Says, now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we've heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow, he he never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. Uh, For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. And all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looking and telling Stephen, uh, and they saw that his face was like that of an angel. There were basically three accusations. Let me get some coffee here. There were basically three accusations uh, that these false witnesses brought up against Stephen. Number one, they said he was speaking out against the land. And, and you're going, land, what, what is, why is that a big deal? <clears throat> Remember, put yourself in their culture in that day, okay? For the nation of Israel, land was always huge. They believed that when the Messiah came back, he'd restore the nation uh, to its, its own country. Uh, they, he would be a military leader, a political leader, a king, um, a person who would restore them back to what they were back in the Old Testament. Uh, remember, Abraham was given the promise, and, and, and he, was, he was told you're going to have a promised land, and Moses takes him there, and Joshua crosses him over, and, and and all this stuff. Well, they have this land for a little while through the kings, and then the Babylonian exile comes in, and and they basically conquer Israel. They take him away, and, and all throughout this, they have these promises from God that you will have your land again someday. You will be a people again. You will unite together again, and they're, they're deported all around the world, and, and eventually they're brought back together, and, and they're brought back to uh, to the nation of Israel. And so land was huge. And, and, and when, when Stephen supposedly is speaking against the land, that just, oh, that drives the heart of the Jews. Like, you don't speak against our country. Uh, in fact, the people that accused him, um, I have a map here, it says they were from uh, the, uh, the synagogue of freed slaves. These are Jews who had grown up or had lived outside of the nation of Israel and at some point had moved back to the nation of Israel. If you can see on this map, uh, here is, in the blue over here is Israel. Uh, we see Jerusalem there. And over here are the four areas that are identified in this scripture. Cyrene, Alexandria, both on the Mediterranean Sea there, uh, the provinces of Asia, and Cilicia. So these are Jews. The people that are accusing him are people who have been deported, know the promises of God, and have since come back to the land. And so the land is immensely important to these people. And supposedly Stephen is saying, this land isn't all there is. God is not confined to this land. Uh, second accusation is against the law. Uh, they're saying that, that he, he's teaching things that are contrary to the law that Moses gave us. And the law for these people was huge. Uh, you were known be, as a person of God because you obeyed the law. Uh, for the Jews, obedience to the law meant you were God's people. Uh, and they had taken the Ten Commandments, which we know, and they had expanded into like 613 different rules and regulations and laws that you're supposed to follow. Uh, the Pharisees followed him down to the letter of the day and, and, and to the letter and this is where we see Jesus accuse them and, you know, you do this and this and this, but you don't have the heart behind it. Like you follow all the rules and regulations, but you don't really worship God. And so these false accusers, they say, you know, Stephen is speaking out against the law, strike two. Uh, Third accusation, and this one's a big one, is against the temple. Uh, for the Jews, God physically resided in the temple. Okay. The temple was the center of religious and oftentimes political and economic life for the Jews. Um, now, this idea didn't come out of any out of, poof, out of thin air. I mean, this developed over centuries of history for this nation. Uh, when when Moses took them out of Egypt and God gave instructions to build a tabernacle and it was this mobile kind of temple, mobile church, and then wherever they would travel, wherever the pillar of fire and cloud would stop, they would set up the tabernacle and God would come down and be in the tabernacle. And Moses would go in and sit with him face to face. They had this room called the Holy of Holies, which was the most sacred place in the tabernacle. And it was the, the only the high priest could go in there. Um, and that was oftentimes only once a year. And, and it was so dangerous to go in that they put bells on him and they tied a rope around his waist. I was teaching the middle schoolers this this week. Um, because if, if he got struck dead by God, because he came into God's presence, if the bell stopped ringing, they had the rope, they could drag his lifeless body out of there. I mean, it was—it was—you did not go lightly into the holy of holies. God resided in that tabernacle. Uh, Solomon comes along and builds a temple, and we have a kind of a model scale of this. Uh, Solomon builds this this enormous temple in Jerusalem, and God lives in the temple. God resides in the temple, and the Jews go there to worship God to do everything. And so here comes Stephen, and he says, "You know what? This temple is not really all it's supposed to be anymore. It's not really." It's not needed. We, we can pretty much get rid of it. Imagine. Imagine, put yourself in the shoes of the Jews. that rhymed. I didn't mean for that. Sorry. Um, put yourself in there in their day. Put yourself in their situation. And here's somebody who has been falsely accused of speaking against the land which has been promised you for centuries, the law which you've been following for centuries, and the temple which you've been worshiping God at for centuries. How are you going to respond? Well, Stephen responds with this, what I thought was a history lesson, but it's really a theology lesson. And I want you to write these three things down um, in your your bulletin there. He challenges with these three three things. We're going to summarize this here in a little bit. God is not confined to one place, either the land or the temple. God is not confined to one place. See, what the Jews were doing is, they were worshiping the temple of God rather than the God of the temple. You see the difference? The temple had become so important for them that they cared more about the temple than about God. They worshiped the temple of God rather than the God of the temple. And when Jesus dies on the cross, Scripture tells us that the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies where where God resided and man couldn't go, that when Jesus dies on the cross, Scripture tells us that curtain was torn in two from top to bottom, and that God now resided with men. And we see Paul write in Ephesians 2.14 um, when he talks about the expansion of faith to those outside of Judaism, to the Gentiles, to all the other nations. He says that Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us, that, that curtain that separated the Holy of Holies. And we see just a few chapters back in Acts that the Holy Spirit was given to all of those who believed. The Holy Spirit now resides inside of those of us who call on Christ. And so God is not confined to one place. Second challenge, Stephen says, is that obeying the law does not make us God's people. And again, imagine being a Jew and hearing this. Wait, wait, obeying the law doesn't make us God's people? And Stephen goes on, he says, no, Christ's sacrifice on the cross is what makes us God's people. And you'll see here in a minute how he even takes it outside the law, pre-law, to show how we were God's people. And he said three, and this, this is, I mean, people of Acts, they didn't back down. I mean, we see Peter before the crowd in Acts 2. And, I mean, he's just pointing his fingers like, you're the ones that crucified him. You did it. And, and here we see Stephen in front of all these people going, you know what? You guys have a long history of rejecting people who God sends to you, including me, Stephen says. you got a long history. And he, and he goes into this lesson. And so everything that I'm about to summarize here is kind of Acts chapter 7, his speech. Before the Sanhedrin. I'm just going to summarize this history slash theology lesson But all of it filters through these three challenges that god is not confined to one place That obeying the law does not make us god's people into the jewish people have a history of rejecting prophets So keep those three in mind as we walk through this summary of stephen's speech. He starts with abraham the father of judaism The one who god gave the initial promise to God he reminds them god did not appear to abraham in the nation of israel there was no promised land yet. God appeared to Abraham in a foreign land. God is not restricted to one place. In fact, God gives Abraham the covenant of circumcision. Before God even gave Moses the law, God set aside his people through the act of circumcision. And so it's not the law that makes us God's people, Stephen is saying. It was circumcision before, then the law, which points to Jesus. And Jesus is what makes us God's people. And in fact, he says, just remind you, the only land that Abraham ever owned was his burial cave. That's the only land that our father, uh, the Jews' father, ever owned was his burial plot. He never owned any land. God is not confined to one land. Then he moves on to Joseph. He says, You know, Joseph had this dream, a couple dreams, in fact, and and, and told his family about it, and and they rejected him. Uh, You know, again, Israel rejects the prophets that come to him. And Joseph was sold into slavery, you know the story, and and he was taken to Potiphar's house and he was put in jail and then he became second to Pharaoh. And God came to Joseph and blessed him in Egypt in a foreign land. It wasn't about the land of Israel. In fact, Joseph goes on and saves his family, which is a foreshadowing of Jesus and drawing people out and saving them. Then he goes to Moses and Stephen says, you know, Moses, Moses was rejected by you. I remember when, when he, he came out of Pharaoh's castle, Pharaoh's house one day, and, and he, he saw the, the Egyptian beating the Hebrew slave, and he, he killed the Egyptian, and the next day he, he came to two Hebrew um, brothers, and they were fighting, and, and he stopped them. And one said, who are you to be judge and ruler over us? Are you going to kill us like you killed the other person? And he fled the land. He was rejected by his own people. And yet God appeared to Moses in a foreign land. You know the story, in a burning bush. It wasn't in the, nation of Israel, in the land of Israel. Moses goes back. He saves Israel from Egyptian rule, draws them out, again, foreshadowing what Jesus would do for us. And then once again in the wilderness, Israel rejects Moses uh, when he goes up on the mountain and they build the golden calf and they worship the golden calf. And then Stephen says, here I am. And all I'm doing is pointing out the truth. I've told you who Jesus was. Jesus wasn't about the land. Jesus fulfilled the law. He went beyond the law. He was the fulfillment of the law, and yet you reject him. You turn your back on Christ, crucify him on the cross. All I'm doing is pointing out what you guys have always done. And Stephen is rejected. He's found guilty. And he's stoned to death. Which stoning is a lot more elaborate than we think. It's not simply picking up rocks and throwing it at a person. When you were officially sentenced to be stoned, um, any time that you had a crime brought against you, you had to have two witnesses. Uh, that's Old Testament teaching. And so they would actually have a, uh, either build a device or or uh, find a, a big cliff that was about twice the man's height. So for me, it would be about twelve feet tall. And they would stand you, the person who was um, to be stoned on the edge, stripped him naked. And the first person who was the witness that cried out against this person shoved him off of that height. So picture yourself, you know, as a kid, um, you're at the high dive in the pool, right? You're standing up there, your knees are shaking because it's really, because it's not just 12 feet up for me. It's like 18 to my eye level, right? So I'm looking down at this big drop and I'm stripped naked. I'm about to be shoved off this thing. And so the fall might kill me, first of all. If the fall didn't kill the person who was being stoned, the second witness came up on top of that height with a large stone and dropped it on the chest of the person who was to be stoned and hopefully to kill them. If that didn't work, then everybody picked up rocks and threw them at the person until they were dead. That was what happened to Stephen. And it says that Stephen, in the midst of all that, prayed for those people who were stoning him, just as Jesus did. And we see there's this young man named Saul who the people take their cloaks off and they lay them at the feet of Saul. Some foreshadowing here. And and Saul is there. He's approving of the death of Stephen. And then Saul goes out and he just ravages the church. I mean, the Greek word there in, in Acts chapter eight. It's not just going out and kicking down doors and arresting people. I mean, it was. He was mad. I mean, the beast had risen up inside of him, and he was taking it out on the church. Men, women, children, didn't matter. I mean, he was kicking down doors. He was dragging them out. He was beating them. He was torturing them. I mean, Saul wasn't just a police officer. I mean, Saul was ravaging the church. And you're going to learn about Saul here in a couple weeks. Do you get the picture of what Stephen was going through? He was taking things that the Jews had known for centuries. And because of Jesus, flipping it all on his head. How mad would you be? You, you knew one way to worship God, to connect with God. And all of a sudden, Stephen comes along and points out what we know in the 21st century to be the truth. And yet for the Jews of that day, that was complete blasphemy. You were dishonoring my God by saying those words, Stephen. And I think Stephen's challenges. Still hold true for us today. See, I, I think Steve's challenges, Stephen's challenges, if we bring it into the 21st century today, we can still see him. We can still hear the martyr's voice speaking out to us. And he, he's saying to his church, God is not confined to one place. So we still do this today. We think that the worship of God is confined to this place on Sunday mornings. We, we don't worship God the rest of the week with our lives. Worship is declaring the worth of God with every word, every thought, every action. It's not just music that we sing, but it's a lifestyle that is surrendered completely to God. Um, we, we fall into this trap, though, and it's, like I said, it's so cultural, it's so entrenched in us that we think that God resides in this place still today, and there's something holy and special about this place. Uh, how many of you have ever been out to Colorado Springs? Air Force Academy? You might have been there, visited? Um, my, my dad and I years ago, we did a road trip out to Colorado Springs for promise keepers conference. It's kind of a father son bonding time. And I had hair, um, back then, which is very important for the story. So, um, I'm not just, you know, commenting. Um, so we leave on Wednesday. So I take a shower Wednesday morning. We get in the van, like one o'clock Wednesday. We drive all through the night wake up like seven o'clock in Colorado Springs. My dad opens the back hatch and, and, um, you know, there's Pikes Peak and all the mountains. I'm like, Oh, cause I live in Illinois. Oh, mountains. And, um, we, we go exploring all day around. We go to Pikes Peak, we go into town, we go on you know, all over the place. And uh, finally my dad's like, I want to go to the, the Air Force Academy. I want to see the chapel. That's the Air Force Academy. We've got a couple pictures here. It's really an incredible building. It really is. Um, one of the most unique buildings in the U.S. Um, the the, the, bil- the pillars there, or whatever you want to call them, uh, spires, they're designed to look like a fighter jet. If you see the next picture, <clears throat> this is what the inside of the the chapel looks like. Uh, just an incredible building. So we go into this building. I haven't, I haven't taken a shower in about three days at this point. I've got really bad hat hair. And uh, I'm in head hat hair. I'm, I'm wearing a, a baseball cap. And we go in, and I don't take my hat off. When I go into this building, um, we explore, we look around, we're coming out and the soldier who's guarding the doors at the door. Um, and I was probably 24 at this point, um, looks at my dad and looks at me and says, I guess some people don't have respect for God. Oh, and the beast rose up. <laughs> we, we walked out of there and I went respect for God because I didn't take my hat off in a building that man made. Like I got in my soapbox big time. Colorado Springs, there's mountains everywhere, and so I'm like, I'm like, Dad, if I'm gonna worship the God of creation, you know, if I'm gonna honor God by taking off my hat, I'm gonna take my hat off in the wilderness when I'm hiking in the mountains, I'm rafting the rivers, when I'm I'm climbing the mountains, that's when I need to worship God, not in some building that man made. And I'm like getting hot. I'm like getting ready to turn back and go to the soldier. My dad's like, he's armed. (laughs) Just remember, he's got a gun. I was like, okay, I'll, I'll back down. God didn't reside in that chapel. Should I have taken my hat off? Yes. All right. I know. I was young. I was immature. I should have. But not for the reasons the soldier thought. Not because that place was more holy than outside in the mountains. But we still fall into that trap. We still leave God at church on Sunday morning. And God wants to be in our homes. He needs to be in our homes. He needs to be in our schools, our businesses, in our neighborhoods, I'm an assistant basketball coach for my son's fourth grade basketball team. And and our head coach, he's a great guy, but he's not a Christian. And he's very moral. I mean, he's a wonderful guy, but he just doesn't know Jesus. And and one of the things that I see as my role is to bring Jesus into the basketball team and onto the basketball court. And so teaching the boys um, good sportsmanship, but biblically-based good sportsmanship, you know, honor God through your words and actions. And believe me, I'm still competitive. Um, You can honor God and be competitive, all right? Jesus would dunk onto you today, um, I believe. Like, last season, I was just the dad up in the stands, um, but I was that annoying dad who was, like, yelling so loud that the wife's elbowing, right? Because basketball's my sport. Like, I love basketball. And this year, I put the coach's jersey on so I can yell on the sideline, right? And it's, it's acceptable. Um, but yesterday, we had a game. And uh, we're playing later tonight, actually, for the championship um, of this tournament. And we had a game that, with about a minute left, we were up by nine points, I think. Guaranteed we were going to win. And I loved it. My coach, the head coach, um, he called this play called called BC Ball Control. And we just pass the ball around at the top of the key and it's not meant to score. And you see it in the boys' eyes. They're like, you don't want me to score? Like, wait, what? And we're like, no, like, just pass the ball. You don't need to drive up the score. You don't need to drive it home to this team that you just beat them. Honor God by not scoring. And it was such a foreign concept to some of these boys. But we need to bring God into everything that we do, everywhere that we go. We are ambassadors for Christ. We bear the name of Christ. We are the salt and the light of the earth, and it doesn't need to stay here. In fact, I think God's heart is broken when it stays here, when it doesn't go outside these walls. God is not confined to one place. Stephen also would challenge us today and say that obeying the Bible does not make us God's people. And you're going, wait, what? Obeying the Bible? You don't want me to obey the Bible? No, I want you to obey the Bible. But don't make the Bible the temple, the modern-day temple. Don't make the God or the book of God more important than the God of this book. Okay, we, we don't obey God's word. We don't obey the rules um, to earn God's love. We do it because God loves us, and it's a way that we show that love back to Him. <clears throat> my kids, I have two kids, Ethan and Morgan, and um, love them dearly. And we don't have a whole lot. We don't have a long list of rules in our house. I mean, basically, I lump all of my discipline into two things: it's either disrespect or it's disobedience. Keep it simple. Anything that you do wrong, I'm going to lump it into either disrespect or disobedience. Now, when my kids do wrong, which they do a lot, um, they don't stop becoming my kids because they broke the rules, right? In that moment of disrespect or disobedience, I don't have them pull their wallet out and say, give me your genders card. You know, you're no longer a genders until you earn it back. And yet for some reason we do that with God. We think that, that we, if, if we follow the rules, if we read the Bible and we do what he says we're supposed to do, that that's what makes us God's people. It's Jesus Christ on the cross, resurrected from the grave, that makes us God's people. It's surrendering your life to Christ on the cross. And when we, we read the Bible, we follow the rules, we do what's in here because of what Christ did for us on the cross, not to earn God's love, not to earn God's grace. My kids, you know, I may not like their actions, but I always love them. And I think God has the same way with us. He may not always like what we say and what we do, but that never makes him stop loving us. We don't obey the rules to make God love us. We obey the rules because of the love God has for us. One is an attempt to earn God's love. The other is a response to God's love. And don't get those mixed up. Lastly, Stephen challenged us, would challenge us today by saying don't reject the messengers of God. And for us today, that's the Holy Spirit in the Bible. And I think a lot of times we often reject the words and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Partly, mainly just baseline ignorance. And, and I don't mean that in the negative connotation, I just mean that in the pure original connotation of the word. We just don't know. We've never been taught how to listen to the Holy Spirit. We've never been taught how to respond to the Holy Spirit. And when you do, and, and you hear that still small voice in that moment, and, you, and it's pointing you towards God, towards something that would honor God, you have a choice. You know, I mean, with students, I mean, I use that old cartoon, you got the devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other, you know, and then that's, there's some good theology there. We got this war going on for us, and we have free will, we get to choose which way we want to go, and the Holy Spirit is there whispering to us, telling us, and giving us direction and encouragement and insight into how we're to live. I, I had a situation a couple weeks back, I was buying some new boots, and I was in in the store, and... I'm looking at these boots, and there's, there's one guy back there in the men's section. He's, he's blue collar, just got off work, covered in dirt. He's got steel toe boots that are just ripped to shreds, you know, all over, and he's, he's buying new boots. And I'm a social person, so I was like, hey, definitely need some new boots, don't you? He's like, yeah. He's like, these last me about 10 years, so I'm hoping to find another good pair. Oh, that's good. All right, you know. And then I heard the Holy Spirit ask him what he does for a living. Because I knew that in turn, it's a guy thing, we ask each other what we do. And I could sense the, the Holy Spirit was saying, ask him what he does so that he'll ask you and you can bring God into the conversation. And I didn't. I let the guy walk away. And God gave me a second chance. The guy turned around to come back. And I was like, oh no, here he comes again. I'm like, God's not going to give up on me. I gave up on God, I passed by again. Now, a couple weeks ago, I was with students in Indianapolis, and we're driving to the concert in uh, downtown, and there's this homeless guy on the corner, and he's begging for change. And I don't have any change, but I've got half a pizza that we didn't eat. And so we pull up, and as I'm pulling up, I I sense the Holy Spirit say, give me your pizza. And I was like, all right, that's kind of strange, but okay. And so I rolled down the window, and I'm like, I don't have any money, but I got a pizza. You want? Yeah. And he was just so excited to get a pizza. And I just honored God by doing what he asked me to do in that moment even though it might have been a little uncomfortable, a little awkward. Are you listening to the Holy Spirit? Are you following his promptings? Are you doing what he calls you to do? Are you reading the Bible and you're changing your life based on what you see in this book rather than changing this book to fit your life? We do that so often. Um, I, I struggle with this. Um, I know that this book says that I'm to forgive because Christ first forgave me. And for, to forgive my brother when he sins, hes gives me 70 times, 7 times. That, that I'm supposed to restore those relationships. And yet I let one go for 9 years. That guy, that youth pastor I talked about earlier, my previous church. It wasn't until I got down here and I was here for a couple years that I finally forgave him. 9 years I held on to that. And I was just chained. It was like, like handcuffs, chained to this guy. He didn't, he, I, I was allowing him to have control over me. I was rejecting what God told me to do in his word for nine years. And I was like, you know what, God? You don't, you don't understand. You don't know how deeply this guy hurt me. You don't know what he did. And God's going, really? I don't? I think I understand. I also think I understand what it's feeling like to be rejected and to, to have people turn on you, to have people hate you. Have people misalign the truth and abuse your name, manipulate things against you. God's going, I know how you feel. And for nine years, no, you don't. No, you don't. No, you don't. And finally, one day, he just got through to me, and I said, okay, I'm going to let it go. Are you changing your life based on what you see in here? Are you changing what you see in here to fit your life? It's a big difference. In all this that Stephen did, everything he talked about, all these accusations and these challenges, everything he did was all to point people towards Jesus. He, He tells me, he's like, Moses, Abraham, Joseph, the temple, the land, the law, all of that stuff, all of our religious customs, traditions, it's all pointing towards Jesus. And that's what they martyred him for. That's what he was stoned to death for. We're called to live our lives in such a way that we point people to Jesus. Do people see Jesus in you? Do people see Jesus in me? Because it's all about Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.